Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Come hang out and re-experience the legendary saga of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from a whole new perspective with co-hosts Josh and Rex on Beer with Buffy. Relax and occasionally guffaws, their unique brand of humor unravels yet another episode each week. Shamelessly indulge vicariously in semi-hedonistic geekery as these two pioneers of absolutely nothing selflessly donate their livers to celebrating an epic cult classic. They're pretty amazing, if they do say so themselves, and they do. Every Monday on BeerWithBuffy.com, iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and literally every free podcast platform available. You should solve yep. some mysteries. It's all business. on you. The police department has failed and the responsibility rests on your shoulders. <laughs> your theme music keeps getting better and better. That was good. That was good. I think you should you should see where that leads you and maybe we'll have a a record deal before we know it. Yeah. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm tone deaf. I'm here with Samantha. Hello. This is perhaps it's you. We're an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. And guess what? Unsolved Mysteries didn't sanction that song. They don't like us and they have nothing to do with us. <laughs> but we're here to rewatch a show that traumatized you as a child. That is quite the tagline. It's the perhaps it's you guarantee. <laughs> Hi. How's everyone doing today? I hope you're doing it's fall now. better than us. It is fall now. That's exciting. It's super exciting. So we live in a place with seasons. People might wonder why we talk about the weather so fucking much on this podcast, but it really controls what you can do. It does. It, it has so much... We're pagans and has so much sway over our lives, whether or not we can leave the house, mm-hmm. whether or not we can enjoy a, a brisk walk through the leaves, mm-hmm. whether we're snowed in. Yes, definitely that Whether one. it's too humid to move, you know, it, there's, it, it has a lot of ramifications. All of the above. Speaking of fall, I wanted to mention that Liz and I have a packed spooky season schedule. Oh, yeah, we do. So much. We're... I'm not sure it's as much as last year, but also that was untenable. Uh, I feel like it's as much as last year, possibly even more. We're going on a cemetery tour. We're going to that pumpkin thing at the Minnesota Zoo. Yes, that's this week. That's really exciting. Um, we are going to go to that poisonous plant. Yeah, uh, that was exhibit a, at the Bell Museum. That was an unexpected find. I'm excited about that. We might go to a Halloween themed bunny extravaganza. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about uh, Hoppy Hour. Yes, yes, it's called Hoppy Hour. I'm. That's only a, a small sampling of the things we're going to be doing. So. I wanted to encourage our listeners to follow us on Instagram. I think I'm going to do- try and document in our Instagram stories. Oh, sure. Our and fall I, adventures. Yeah, I'll, I'll feature a highlight of our spooky season. This is our busy season. Our busy time. We've I'm got a lot on the schedule. call it the busy season. Mac laughs at me every time, but it's fucking true. Mm-hmm. And trying to schedule one more thing in this month is honestly hard it's i think my every saturday is taken for sure most sundays i mean we're getting to the point where it's like well maybe we can do that on a wednesday (laughs) uh uh to kick off spooky season i went to ihop last night to try the adams family menu can you give us your review of the adams family menu at ihop so there is a really terrible looking adams family movie coming out 
And in, you know, whatever, capitalism with that, IHOP has made a, like, mini menu of Adam's Family items, uh, most of which just have purple goo on top of them. Sure. So there is a shake. There is a pancakes that get a sort of spider pattern put on them and then the purple goo. Okay. There's a hot chocolate. And then there's a really gross looking omelet. That has something to do with Uncle Fester, supposedly. Is the omelet purple? No. It's some sort of pork. It just looked bad in the photo. Okay. The only thing that I ordered off of the menu was the hot chocolate, because having multiple items covered in a purple goo (laughs) seemed like too much, honestly. So I I ordered just a normal French toast and then got the hot chocolate. And the... It's like it was supposed to be like a whipped cream. Okay. But it's not whipped cream. It's just like thicker, like a frosting, and it melts into your hot chocolate and just makes everything look like it's purple dye. Oh. It contaminates everything like a virus. <laughs> and the flavor of the hot chocolate? I, I Was it just regular hot chocolate yeah. with this stuff on it? Yeah, I barely drank any of it actually. It was not very good. That sounds pretty disappointing. It was not great. But I don't know. I was nice to have breakfast for dinner. Um, that's always nice. Yeah. I hadn't been to an IHOP in a really long time. I can't even they say. They got me. Their, their marketing scheme worked. I went in, met some friends, ordered my French toast. We all got the hot chocolate. Okay. We were all disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do make a kid size. So if you want to try it, maybe you could talk them into letting you order the kid size. Sure. Well, that's my review of that. Underwhelming. It's- the trailer for the movie looks absolutely terrible. I've seen it and I have to agree. So I think maybe the hot chocolate is a very good companion to the movie. Okay, sure. Because they're not good. Okay, also in favor of spooky season, I saw these at Walgreens. I'm pretty sure I need to try, try me some of those. This is M&M's white pumpkin pie M&M's. All right, okay, have you heard about these Skittles? No. For Halloween, they made rotten zombie Skittles. What? <laughs> yes. And supposedly, I don't know if it's like one in every bag or something, or just like a few of them are supposed to taste like rotten zombie. What? Yeah. Like they taste bad? I guess. Okay. What? I, I, I'm they, looking this up right now. <laughs> this episode of Unsolved Mysteries sucked, so I'm, we can take her some time to talk about other things, food items. Rotten zombie Skittles. Liz yeah. is going to open the pumpkin pie M&M's. So they didn't have those, but they did have these pumpkin pie M&M's, and that seemed worth trying to me. Okay, like many um, flavored M&M's, these are like fatter than your typical chocolate M&M. Okay, this article from Delish is titled Zombie Skittles Taste Test Review. The rotten flavor traumatized us. I mean, how could it not? Here, have some M&M's. Okay, these are pretty good. They definitely have a pumpkin pie spice yes. flavor, which is nice with the white chocolate. I don't know that I would want to eat a ton of these, but they're good. Okay, it really does taste rotten. Yeah. Yeah, she, this this person who wrote this article said, on my fourth or fifth bite into Skittles, <laughs> I, I, bitten, I bit into the rotten Skittle and it tasted really rotten. I don't oh want to try that, actually. No! That sounds really bad. So these are people that described it. It tastes like jalapeno peppers, garlic, and throw up. Oh my god! Someone else said it's like a rotten egg, but worse. Someone else said, I will never trust Skittles again. Wow. This might be a bad marketing campaign for them. And the person that wrote this article says that they completely agree with the descriptions. I do not want to taste anything that tastes like jalapenos and barf. No! So I think I'll pass on this rotten zombie Skittles. The rest of the bag is different flavors. Black cherry... Lime, blood orange. 
And then all of a sudden you get one that tastes, tastes rotten? Yeah, no thanks. That's I would Who get would it. Subject themselves to that. I would get it just to try a blood orange skittle if I didn't have to eat a rotten zombie. And you skittle. don't know which one it is because they're all different colors. Yeah, no. I'm passing Mm-mm. the M and M's back to Liz. Okay, these are delicious. Yeah, I actually like these a lot. I like them more than I thought I would. Yeah, they really taste like pumpkin pie bites. It's like a little dessert. You don't have to bake at all. Yeah. Thank you, M and M's. Thank you. Could you send us some for free now? That would be really appreciated. Since we're advertising your product for no goddamn reason. Not only are we advertising M&M's, but we're telling you not to buy Skittles. Yeah, it's true. So M&M's, call us. Yeah, we'll take your blood money. Thanks. Okay, we have a couple thank yous. First of all, thank you to Rob over at Our Strange Skies. Oh my god. Who sent us a gigantic care package after we were on a show. After we lowered the quality of his podcast, he sent us a gift. Which, what? We don't give our guests gifts at all. They give us gifts. (laughs) So uh, maybe that was a lesson in generosity. But thank you, Rob. We really appreciate that. Rob sent us a bunch of books, one of which I think we might use for the podcast. Yeah. Liz has it in front of her. This is something that was on our Amazon wish list, which if you want to send us gifts, you can go to our website, perhapsinsu.com. On the contact section, you'll find a link. Anyway, I had asked for this book. Obviously, we needed this book trucker ghost stories and other true tales of haunted highways weird encounters and legends of the road i'm excited to read this edited by annie wilder i feel like this would be a good uh, who knows maybe we'll get rochelle drunk again and (laughs) read some of these tales so that's quite exciting and we also got some cheesies and some starburst gummy snakes which are samantha's lifeblood and other goodies need them to live and also, thank you to our listener, Senator, for sending us a cute card. It's really cute. The card has macaroons on it. It's really adorable. Uh, getting snail mail is, like, the funnest shit ever. It really is. So, you made our day. Your handwriting is really pretty. And, yeah, everything about it was really nice. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then, should we thank your dad for these post notes? I, Are we sure your dad sent these? <laughs> no. But I think my dad ordered us some Shutterfly post-it notes with our logo on them. And they look pretty cool. They are. The post-it it in itself is green, and then it has our logo on the top. And I, you can always use a post-it. And this is branding, all right? Yeah. Business. Bus- we're serious uh, business women. This is business. You and have post-it it. notes with your logo on them. So mm-hmm. there is your business advice for the day. I am us. really excited about some stamps that are coming out. Ooh, tell me more. <laughs> because I am a dork. Uh, the U.S. Postal Service is releasing these Halloween stamps that kind of look like stained glass windows. They're like black Halloween silhouettes on different colors. Ooh. I think we have to buy a ton and that'll just be the only postage this podcast ever uses. I think that's a great plan. That's, again, branding. Business. Serious business women. Me going, ooh, this is a cool stamp. <laughs> we need lots of these for our business. Isn't that how business works? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. As far as I know. It's just using to learning to use the right language to justify what you were going to do anyway. Yeah, you say this is a business expense. Business. Business. There you go. Done. Done. Can you tell we just don't really want to talk about this episode? Oh my god. So, I'm I'm sorry to our listeners. I feel like we've been doing this a lot lately where it's like, well, this episode was boring. Yeah. But this episode was boring. I feel like I remember almost nothing. Yeah, I remember not, some bleach blonde hair and uh, actually, uh, your, one of your mysteries I enjoyed, but it didn't really carry the whole no. episode. So. All right, Samantha, you go first. Yeah, so, oops. Oh, this segment also uh, is really racist, so. Yeah, we can look forward to that. 
uh, apologies in advance. I don't know if you want to watch this, but yeah. Uh, oh, we're on season four, episode 13, by oh, the yeah. way. Unlucky 13, because this episode sucks. This is an unexplained death, and this is the death of Chad Lee Maurer. Who totally would have bullied me. Oh. Sorry, Chad. Yeah, R.I.P. Chad, but that hair. The first time they showed a photo of him, I was like, oh, I know that dude. And he was awful to me. And he wasn't literally, but he's that type of dude. And yeah, he had like the bleachiest, blondest hair. He was just a like really preppy, athletic dude. Yeah, the kind of dudes I didn't hang out with. Okay. 19-year-old Chad Maurer worked at a bicycle shop in Madison, Wisconsin. He hoped to save enough money to attend college in Colorado. On May 19, 1990, he had lunch at his house and then left for work. His parents did not notice anything unusual about this behavior, but about an hour later, they drove to the bike shop and noticed that his car wasn't there. They learned that Chad had never showed up to work. His parents could not find no trace of him. He, like, came home to make two really bad-looking sandwiches, like, just bologna on white bread, and then ran out the door, got in his car, like, made his dad give him some money for gas, and then they never saw him again. That was it. Yeah, they drove to his his work, and they went inside to ask his manager if he was there because his car wasn't in the parking lot, and his manager's response, according to the reenactment, was, well, he better be here. Go check in back. And he wasn't. He wasn't there. He had never showed up. Two days later... It's also kind of funny that his boss didn't know that. (laughs) You better be here at this bike shop. But obviously it's so happening, I have no idea where my employees are. So, uh, two days later, a maintenance worker found Chad dead inside his car in a garage on the south side of Chicago. This is where I think the the racism comes in. Because we get a lot of a description about how dangerous the south side of Chicago is. is. This is a quote from Robert Stack. The south side of Chicago is one of the roughest neighborhoods in the country. In the country. Yes, in the country. Um, I... Goddamn. I feel like this is a... The implication is that he, the only reason he would be going to the south side of the Chicago is for drug dealing. Oh, yeah. They pretty much say as much. Yeah. And I had, I wrote down, not everyone on the south side deals drugs. <laughs> I feel like the episode is acting like the people in the south side of Chicago are what make it dangerous and not the city of Chicago ignoring the south side of Chicago is right. what makes it dangerous. Right. And that it's the victim of very aggressive redlining. Right. But that, of course, I wanted a more sociopolitical slant to this segment. <laughs> no, it's just, you see, like, shots of, like, kids playing basketball, and you're supposed to be like, ooh, so scary. <laughs> the south side of Chicago, where people live and work. No. <laughs> and then I just wrote down in all caps, never trust the Chicago PD, which is a good motto to live by. Exactly. All right, an autopsy determined that he had died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Chicago police ruled his death a suicide, but his family would not believe this. Uh, they viewed his body at the funeral home and saw evidence of injuries to his knuckles and face. His parents were then shown the clothes he was wearing when he was found death dead. There were large blood stains on his shirt. Chad's parents contacted the Madison police. They reviewed the photos taken by the Chicago police and noticed another discrepancy. A jean jacket was in the car with his body. However, his parents remembered that he did not take a jacket with him that morning. Even though it was chilly, folks. Even though, yes. They're the most Midwestern parents ever. <laughs> They noticed that he didn't take a jacket. They noticed that he didn't take a jacket. Even though it was cold. Even though it was chilly. And that was part of the reason they thought he was just going to work and nowhere else. Because otherwise, he would need a jacket. 
<laughs> and is also, the most Midwestern parent thing <laughs> to have ever happened. And then they're also like reaction. I realize these are not actors, but their reaction to like everything in the reenactments is just sort of like, oh, hmm, oh. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you would expect maybe to be slightly more... um, They're not emoting. That's very true. Their their son is dead. I'm sure they feel a lot of things, but they're not projecting that in any way. So it's just them, like, looking at things and being like, "Hmm, mildly quizzical. "Hmm, That's suspicious. Hmm." (laughs) And they're both, like, dressed in their Sunday best. I don't know. Yeah, so man, he, oh man. he did not own a jacket like the one found in his car. His family finds it extremely suspicious. The Chicago police officer or investigator, whoever they interviewed, was just like, I don't know where it went. He we claimed, left the, the door unlocked. Someone he just took someone it. someone took it. That someone saw... Like, I, from the police impound lot? Like, are yeah. they leaving this on the side of the road? I don't understand. This that is someone was evidence. walking through the police impound lot, saw a window down or unlocked car, and was just like, you know what? I could use a jean jacket. You know what? They they frequently go shopping in cars. He was just like, can- look, I don't know what to tell you. It's gone. <laughs> I was like, great police work. Great. That's fabulous. Great. great. The other thing that they found suspicious was that the level of, and I've never heard this before, the level of carbon monoxide in his blood was higher than is what normally found in these types of suicides. So apparently if you fall asleep and you are overcome by carbon monoxide, like you're, you're in your home and there's a carbon monoxide leak and it happens at night and you're sleeping, the levels in your blood are like, his levels were like 75, I think. They're... They said in a suicide, it's normally six in the 60s. And the reason they say is because if you're sleeping, you breathe deeper and more evenly. Okay. Which I believe. I don't, okay, that kind of makes sense. I don't know. Um, we don't actually hear from a doctor. We only hear from police <laughs> yeah. investigators and his family. So, and I think a reporter. So, I'm not sure if that holds up. Uh, there was nothing else on his, like, toxicology report to say that he was drugged or anything like that. But I, they suspect... Uh, that he was knocked unconscious and then put in the garage. I did draw the mustache of the police officer who couldn't explain where the jacket had gone, but I kind of think he's a dirtbag. Yeah. Did you name that mustache the Jagoff? <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> Which I only learned recently that Jagoff is an insult only used in like Chicago and Pittsburgh. It's not something I've commonly heard. I feel like I've only heard you say it. <laughs> Well, because I called someone on Twitter a jagoff. <laughs> of course, of Which course. they were. This doesn't Hello. surprise me. And then someone was, else was like, hey, Pittsburgh! <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I, I'm not from Pittsburgh. I always thought it came from, like, jack-off. That's but what I would assume. No, it doesn't. Okay, interesting. So now I'm going to have to I wonder what up. the origin of the word jag-off, jagoff is. Anyway, so I called this guy's mustache the jagoff, because I don't like him. Yeah, it was an impressive mustache, but I don't like him as a person, so... Probably not MVM. All right. On October 22nd, 1990, Chad's story was aired on a local Crime Stoppers program in Madison. After the broadcast, an anonymous tipster alleged that Chad was involved in a drug deal with people from his apartment complex in Madison. Interestingly, these same individuals had previously lived in the area where Chad's body was found in Chicago. Authorities believe that Chad may have been involved in narcotics trafficking and that he was offered an amount of money to take the drugs to Chicago. Here's another thing that happens in this episode is that they make a lot of assumptions about how Chad was just a good kid and he was lured by $500, a sum of money they just made up, um, to go into this bad part of Chicago and deal drugs. Yeah, the thing is, 
so okay the the other element of the racism in this other than just showing you pictures of black people and being like ooh scary is that we this kid gets so much consideration for the possibility that he has been tricked or enticed into drug dealing which just isn't a luxury that would be offered other people it's like not. oh probably because he wanted to go to Colorado maybe he was enticed into needing these 500 like they're just fucking making shit up about how he yeah would have been tricked into drug dealing as if other people don't have reasons for needing money <laughs> like only it's just because oh he's a good white kid like we're all, yeah how, how did he end up dead on the south side of chicago he must have been coerced we're presented with no evidence that he was coerced no! is there phone calls is there a letter did anyone observe anything no i'm sure when the, the chicago pd finds a black kid dead on the south side of chicago they don't go well they must have been tricked exactly they must have been enticed with money they couldn't turn down they just wanted to go to college in a different state so they were yeah wh- why the fuck not so that's a lot of bullshit um so they come up with this theory that he like was lured into trafficking drugs for the sum of five hundred dollars and he went to the location and then the individuals backed out of the deal a fight broke out and chad was left in his car to die however no one has come forward to verify this theory because it's there's no evidence it's just this anonymous person that said he was involved in a drug deal even the tipster i don't think said that he was tricked but whatever Oh, Chad's family and both the Madison and Chicago police are still hoping for a resolution to the case. So his death was changed from suicide to undetermined. It is suspicious that he was covered in blood. Uh, it is suspicious that he had wounds to his body. Um, but there's not a lot to go off of. No. So it's- And I don't feel like the police did a good job. Because they didn't even keep that coat. No. So whatever evidence might have shed some light on the situation seems like it was compromised. Yes. So uh, there's sad. L- there's little other information about this. Later, one of Chad's friends told his mother that Chad had told him that he had been paid twice in 1989 to transfer a drug dealer to Milwaukee. So possibly was involved in drug trafficking in some regard it doesn't really seem like he was coerced but okay what's a little bit weird to me is that he was supposed to be at work and it's not just he told his parents he was supposed to be at work his boss thought he was supposed to be at work Did, was he i don't know he was just like he's supposed to be or he should be Interesting. here i think we're to assume that he was like on the payroll or like on the clock that day but maybe he wasn't maybe he lied to his parents and his boss just didn't know yeah, I that's weird to me. Yeah. That if he was going to, you know, get paid to transport someone to Chicago, it would make sense to tell your parents you're at work, but then you should probably ask for the day off. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like, uh, that... So, this, is, this case is still unsolved. Authorities received a tip about Chad's case shortly after the story was aired on Unsolved Mysteries. The tip reportedly corroborated the information that was given to Crime Stoppers in October of 1990. However, it is not known if anything was uncovered as a result of the tip. Oh, I left this part out. There was uh, shots fired. So a reporter starts poking around the bike shop where Chad worked, wanting a statement from his boss. And then shortly after the newspaper article ran quoting his boss, someone pulled up to the bike shop and shot 
a gun into oh, the right. window. I forgot about that. Which is also suspicious, I guess. We don't even, we aren't even told what the boss said. Right. Like, the boss could have just said he was a good kid and came to work. I don't know. I don't know what the quote was. I don't know why someone would shoot into it. It could be unconnected. We don't actually know. It is strange. Yeah. Um, okay, I know you've all been waiting. This is what Wikipedia has to tell us about the term jagoff. All right, let us know. It's an American English derogatory term used mostly in the Pittsburgh area and is a general term of disparagement. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's just a funny phrase. And it's derived from the verb to, dr- to jag, which means to prick or proke. Oh. All right. All right. Look, this guy was a total jagoff. Yeah. I stand by that. So that's the name of his mustache. <laughs> yeah. That's all I have for that case. Honestly, a stupid, irritating, or contemptible person. All right. Yeah. See? Mm-hmm. All right. I expect that all our listeners will add that to their re- repertoire of uh, insults. <laughs> when you're yelling at someone on Twitter, you can be like, you absolute jag off. <laughs> okay. So now we get a really unnecessary update about the big brother. Yes, the guy thing with the program. sideburns. Yeah, which is a super sweet story, but we already heard all that crap. So now we move on to <laughs> A Lost Heirs, which opens with uh, Robert Stack wanting to teach us about the problem of homelessness in the country. Seemed sort of un I mean, kind of related to this, but... Not really? In a very small way. They just... Okay, so this is what he says. The homeless. Their estimates go as high as 3 million in the United States alone. Which I have no idea if that number is accurate today. But then he reminds us that many of us tend not to see the individuals in the faceless mass. Which is a really gross way to talk about people experiencing homelessness. But I think it was sort of well intended. I think it was. You're telling you that, look, you don't care for people who don't have a house. But they all have a story to tell. There's a reason why they're in these unfortunate circumstances. And they are theorizing that perhaps Lorraine Robert, uh, Roberts may be, quote, lost among the homeless. Spoiler, she isn't. So this has absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with anything. But, uh, yeah, be nice to people who are not living indoors. Yeah, they're folks. just people. They're people. And housing is a problem. So quit being a dick. <laughs> Quit okay. being a jagoff. Quit being an absolute jagoff, you fuck. Okay. So her family hasn't seen this is about Lorraine Roberts Roberts, not homeless. Uh her family hasn't seen her in thirty years, and she doesn't know that she's the heir to a million dollar estate. Now, she doesn't actually get a million dollars, she gets part of a million dollars, but they like just saying million dollars over and over again yeah so exciting so we learned that lorraine dropped out of high school and it may be at this time that she started struggling with mental illness shortly after leaving school in 1949 she moved to austin texas where she worked as a waitress and then we get this really cringy reenactment that she's working at as a waitress she's in like her cute little 49 waitress outfit i could barely stand to watch this and then she goes up to a table that has a bunch of soldiers and one of them's like i'm gonna have a hamburger and a mall and also take you for a whirl (laughs) and then she's like what (laughs) which is the totally appropriate like what the hell are you talking about and he's like let me show you and he stands up and like makes her dance with him this woman who's at her job 
She's like, I'm, he's like, I'm gonna force you to dance with me. Can I just bring you a chicken salad sandwich? Or don't touch me. What? Anyway, ten days later, they're married. Ten, yes, ten days later. Guess what? That didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> don't marry people within ten days of meeting them after they're like kind of rude to you at your job. Yeah. Hey, not not a that's, fairy tale romance. That's my advice. You don't have to take it, but I'm just going to put it out there. So they went on to have three children, and then they moved to his hometown in New Jersey in 1956. Uh, this was not a great decision. Lorraine wasn't very happy there, and for some reason was not accepted by his family, who were super rude to her all the time. I didn't get that, but... No, there's, like, no explanation of why. They just thought, like, she didn't fit in. I don't know. They were probably snobs or something. Probably. By the, by the end of that failed experiment, her mother-in-law buys her and her children a train ticket back to Austin. They're sort of, like, kicked out and forced to move back. He is not involved in his children's lives after that. Do we ever hear if they got a divorce or... I don't know if they got a divorce, but he doesn't provide any child support. No, he's just gone. He's just like, look, that didn't work out. See ya. Three children later. So she puts a single mother and three small children on a train and is like, figure it out. Yeah, cool. Cool. Cool Cool story. Seems like great people. She should have probably gotten off that train, gone back, burned down their house, and then (laughs) gotten on the train and been like, it couldn't have been me, officer. I was on a train to Austin. With these three small children. Yeah, just batting her eyelashes, and then they she never would have been convicted for that crime. No, never. So now she's a single mother, she has three children, and she tried her best to work and raise them, but it was too much, and that does sound really awful, honestly. She struggled with mental illness. They don't specify what specifically, but her almost her entire life, her adult yeah. life. So not only she's, does she have this shitty experience, she has three kids struggling to take care of them, and she's struggling with a mental illness. She's struggling with mental, mental illness. She's struggling to take care of herself. She's struggling to take care of her children. And she's just she, abandoned by her husband and her husband's family. Yeah, and she's trying to raise three children on a waitress salary and not getting any child support. Um, so eventually she came to the hard decision that she needed to give the children up for adoption and for them to have a better life. And... I'm sure that was really hard, but probably was the best decision. Yeah. And it's just kind of heartbreaking. And the father's family is... What ja- what jagoffs? Ja- this episode is full of jagoffs. <laughs> uh, so giving her children up for adoption made her mental and emotional state more fragile. Yeah. It was, it was not an easy thing to do. Um, so she saw a shrink that I think was recommended by her sister and was consequently committed to a state mental hospital. A thing that we basically don't have anymore. And then she, between the years of 1957 and 61, she was admitted five times. She would be released, she would work for a while, and then it would slowly become too much and she would end up going back. So one day she dropped by her sister's house unannounced. She got out of a cab. She like walks up the stairs. Her sister's on the porch and she's like, oh, I'm just came to tell you that I'm getting married and I wanted to show you my ring. And she's like, who are you marrying? A college professor. How did you meet a college professor? At college. At college. Okay, gotta go. Bye. Yeah. And so she gets back in the cab and leaves. And then after that, her sister gets a bill for the ring. She had bought it herself. And failed to make the payments. Yeah. 
Um, that is the last time that she saw her. Her uh, whole family. That was the last time anyone saw yeah, her. Yeah, that's the last time anyone saw her. Her Their mother died in 1988, leaving an estate to the children. So this was a lost heir because they were looking for Lorraine to get her part of the money. Um, and they didn't know what had happened to her. And I think... Also, they just really cared about her. And yeah, they true. were her whole family was very sensitive to they understood that she was struggling with mental illness. They understood that the decisions she made were in the best interest of her and her children, and they just wanted to be there to support her. And unfortunately she disappeared and in at that time you can't just look someone up online, right? She just vanished. She got in that cab, she drove away, and they didn't know where she was staying or or what had happened to her. Um, her, the children she gave up for adoption eventually tracked down her sister. So they are connected that way. And also they have gone on to have their own children. So mm-hmm. Lorraine has grandchildren. Um, so they were putting out a call on Unsome Mysteries like, please help us find Lorraine. Well, she called the telecenter herself. She watched the episode. Solved her own mystery. I was, in watching this episode, I felt dread in the pit of my stomach. I was like, this is going to end in either they're never going to find her and we're going to have to assume or that she's she, like dead in a ravine somewhere. Yeah, that she died by suicide or. Nope. Uh, something like that, but turns out she was out there. Nope, she was in Arkansas where she had just been working for room and board. I think she was, This whatever situation she was in sounds predatory. Yeah, it's uh, like she was an indentured servant. I think the reason to mention that is that it was, that made it even harder to track her down. Like she didn't have yeah. a pay stub or whatever. Right. So that was part of the reason that they couldn't find her because she was just working for trade. Um, but they come, they film a reunion. Um, she catches up with her sisters. She stayed in Austin for three months. She got uh, more than $100,000 in inheritance and then went back home to Arkansas. So it's kind of a happy ending. It didn't seem like it would have a happy ending. Also, the reunion they filmed at it's really where they cute. had streamers, they had signs that said, Welcome home. Lorraine, the, it seemed like the whole family was there. She went from having not, I mean, I don't know what her situation was in Arkansas, but she didn't have a family. Yeah. To having this huge They really did care system. about her, and they really did want her back in their lives. And yeah. I, they still loved her all these years later, and were searching for her. And Lorraine said that they had always been very nice. Like, I, that's not the reason that she hadn't been in contact with them. I'm, this is just my total guess, I'm assuming that she was ashamed. Yeah. About her, her mental health struggles, and that she didn't want to be a burden to them, maybe, and that's why she hadn't been in touch. And I'm so. sure the longer it was, the harder it seemed. To get back in touch. Yeah. But yeah. the fact that they actually cared about her I'm, and wanted her, her in their lives, it seemed like that meant a lot. Yeah, this had the, a really happy ending, and I really enjoyed it. it even though it was a lost heir, it, it, it was like it a lost love. It was kind love. of a lost love. Yeah. And I'm, for someone who was just working for room and board, you know, that hundred grand is going to go a long way. Yeah. Okay, here's my question for you. You find out, you get an, you get inheritance from a long lost uncle you didn't even know you had. You get a hundred grand. Let's put aside like paying off debt. What are you gonna do with your hundred grand? Hmm. Capybara farm comes to mind. <laughs> the capybara ranch. Definitely gonna get some mini donkeys. <gasps> mini someone ponies. Post, someone and mini posted donkeys. a video of a mini donkey on our Facebook group, and then someone else posted uh, photos of their parents' mini horses, and it just made me want some even more. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe like like a some sort of like rescue farm for like capybaras oh, and mini donkeys and yes. mini horses and that's it i don't know how many capybaras need to be rescued but there's gotta be a few <laughs> they were at like a bad zoo yeah yeah i'll take them yeah how, did, have Can you put in, any thought into what you would do with your hundred grand 
Not really. Um, I feel like rich, the difference between me and rich me is like a lot of Halloween decorations, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. There's gonna be a, a sizable chunk spent on that. I don't really know. I kind of want to go to Venice before it's underwater. That would be really nice. So the, I guess I do the that. The problem is that a hundred grand would get you like hardly anywhere. Because yeah, you would just pay off debt. Yeah, no, we can't think about that part. But that's not. But this is a fantasy. So <laughs> yeah. in our fantasy, yeah, okay, we get to spend it all on Halloween decorations. Your and debt is bears. also paid off in this fantasy. <laughs> And then you just have a hundred grand to do something with. Yeah, I mean, but then I'd want to like pay off other people's debts. I know that's the problem. So that's not. But really in this that fantasy, fun. no one else exists, and it's okay. just us and Capybara. I mean, I might invest in the Capybara Ranch too. You can put little Halloween hats on the Capybara. <gasps> yes, this is yeah a dream. Oh my god, I. I- could I have, like... Okay, so I would really like to have some guinea pigs, but I don't think that's going to work with my dogs. Maybe I could put a, like, addition on the house or, like, a separate shed area for guinea pigs. Ooh. Like a little guinea pig house yes. in the backyard. <laughs> yes. I like this. I think maybe I would do that. <laughs> you could just buy a whole separate... You, like, buy the neighbor's house and just... <laughs> It's your guinea pig house. It's my guinea pig. It's my guinea pig slash Halloween decoration storage house. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Brilliant. Okay. okay. Someone sent us $100,000. <laughs> we have plans. Patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. <laughs> you have more money than you know what to do with. Come on. <laughs> Just sell a few boats. Come on. Yeah, seriously. You, you don't need, need- <laughs> all those boats. <laughs> okay. Uh, you have a wanted now, and it's... They act like this is fun, and it's so boring. (laughs) And I'm almost insulted that they try to play it up as like, Uh, get a load of this con man who does pranks. It's like, no, he doesn't. He's not doing pranks. This is the most boring mystery ever. Okay, so I apologize in advance. All right, this is a wanted. We're looking for Todd Mueller, who is a career con artist who has counterfeited papers in order to squander the fortunes of other people, particularly people who have died. So... Another jag off. <laughs> On August 20th, 1990, <laughs> Mueller turned up at a Maui bank in Hawaii going by the name of Pepito DeBayan? Debine. Okay. I don't know. The fakest name that ever was. He claimed that he was the representative for his aunt's estate. He asked to take the funds from her account and put them into his account. He also wanted to deposit a check into the account. Uh, finally, he wanted to transfer $20,000 to his, quote, associate, Julian Bailmount Bale in Honolulu. The bank employee was immediately suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was he playing your, himself, you think? Maybe he was. He I did think a good so. job. I think he did a good job, and I really liked him, like, working in the Hawaiian shirt at the yeah. bank <laughs> and just giving him side eye the whole time, like, eh! really so he asked him he's like he's like sir this is gonna take a while why don't you leave and come back in an hour we'll have this all squared away so when uh the man came back he was arrested on suspicion of forgery he like there's this really awkward moment where he comes in he's walking towards the guy at the bank the guy at the bank is just like frozen like uh, staring at him and then the police come out to arrest him there's just this moment of like yeah i'm actually not gonna talk to you because you're gonna get arrested (laughs) 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 <laughs> Which, honestly, I feel like is exactly how it went down. 
All right. At first, Maui police had no idea who they had in custody, as he was carrying more than 15 false identification cards. Eventually, they identified him as Mueller. He was released on bail, and three months later, on December 3rd, 1990, he showed up at a bank in Honolulu under the alias Arthur Aona. He told the employee that he was uh, named a personal representative of the estate of a man named George McLaughlin. So am I. I would like George McLaughlin's money, please. <laughs> money, please! This is basically how this man was getting all his money. He wanted to take the funds from George's account and place them in a new checking account in his name. Investigators believe that Mueller look, uh, looks at obituaries in newspapers and takes names from there to place on court documents. He- also, forgery used to... S- it seems like it's so easy. Yeah, I could have committed crimes in the past. <laughs> it seems like you just cut and paste shit. I it's just crafts. I could have committed crimes in the past. I could have committed crimes in the past. It's just it's just crafts. It's just cutting and pasting. It's just crafts. You're just taking a document and like cutting someone's signature off of something else and like xeroxing yeah, it. Yeah, I mean pretty much. I could have done that. I yeah. could have done crimes in the past. It's just- Wait till there's time travel. I'm gonna go back in time and commit okay. so much crimes, folks, folks. If you, we haven't had a new shirt in a while. I really think <laughs> crimes in the past were just crafts. Uh, is perfect for a perhaps it's you t-shirt. <laughs> if you are an artist, I will spend money on it. I will buy a shirt for my own podcast that says crimes in the past were just crafts. And then like have a little like illustration they of were, a scissors though. cutting out a signature and maybe like a Xerox machine. Get they on were, that. They were though. Crimes I in the past the were just crafts. Uh, amazing. So, yeah, he would use copy machines to forge these documents, making them appear legitimate to bank employees. The documents would name his as, him as the executor of the person's estate. The fake documents and phony checks allowed him to steal thousands of dollars from banks throughout Hawaii. However, his work was sometimes less than perfect. For example, one of the checks he had was from, quote, the Bank of Boise, Iowa, which does not exist. <laughs> because Boise's in Idaho. It's a minor problem. I, I wrote down in really big letters, sloppy and greedy. <laughs> See, I would have done better crimes than this guy. I know where Boise is. Yeah. Also, he would do suspicious things, such as withdrawing $31,000 from the account he opened in Honolulu. The bank manager contacted the police, believing the probate documents to be false. Once again, Mueller was arrested. However, he again posted bail and was released. I don't know why they keep letting this guy out, but look, I'm not a, the police. When... <laughs> They're not, look, he's not good at committing crimes. They're not good at stopping crimes. It's a match made in heaven. I feel Romantic like comedy coming to it. I feel like he's posting bail with like his like all Fake his money, money. All his money is he's like, stolen. He's like, oh, um, bail. Do you take Monopoly money? <laughs> oh, you do. Uh, Great. Do you take checks? Do you take giant <laughs> fake checks that are from fake banks? Oh, you do. Oh, that's great. I have a ton of those because I'm a con man. Did I mention that? Did you know that's why I was arrested? <laughs> when investigator Henry Nobiga, Nobriga attempted to get a search warrant for Mueller's home, Mueller himself called him, saying that a warrant was not necessary. He claimed that he would voluntarily let Nobriga search his house. However, when Nobriga arrived at the home, all of Mueller's possessions were gone. This is supposed to be a prank. And I was like, no, that's just part of committing crimes. <laughs> 
Ugh. I really like this rebranding of crimes as just pranks. And just hilarious pranks. <laughs> but when I got there, he was gone. And it was like, yeah, he was on the run. You know, that old joke. Timeless. <laughs> but when I got there, his house was cleaned out. And I was like, Mueller, you done it again. <laughs> One week later at the o- Oahu Corrections Facility, Mueller's former cellmate, Roy Hartstock, was told that he was being paroled. He claimed that he was not supposed to be released until February. However, a court order had been <laughs> issued requesting his immediate release. Okay, this is a type of crime I actually... I've never heard of this before, and I think it's kind of ingenious. Just faking parole documents for other people to get them out of jail sooner. It's kind of great. I'll give him credit for that. I also love that this Roy guy was like, I'm not supposed to get out until February. And they were like, the paperwork's here, man. And he was just like, okay, I guess. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that your system fucking sucks. Like, it's time for me to leave. Okay. I was like, yeah, because at first he's like, I don't get out now. And they're like, paperwork's right here. (laughs) Don't know what to tell you. All right, bye. I'm just a guard. All right, I'm leaving. See you never. (laughs) Three weeks later, investigators discovered that Mueller had forged the release documents. Mueller also... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is actually really good. Yeah. That... Oh, man. I respect it. Mueller, would we call it a prank? I don't know. It seems like just a crime. It's just more crimes. But it's not a crime I've heard of before. (laughs) Mueller also pretended to be a New York police officer calling investigator Nobriga and claiming that he had been arrested there. In reality, Mueller was staying at an expensive hotel in Chicago. Hotel employees were suspicious of his behavior, especially with the large amounts of cash he was carrying. (laughs) He was, like, having people meet him in the lobby and very obviously doing crimes. (laughs) Or people would come to just, I don't, I don't, launder money. Who knows? They were just like (laughs) passing large sums of money out in the open in front of the hotel employees. Who were like, uh, are there pranks happening right now? (laughs) They tried to not let him extend his stay, but then he just called the reservation line and booked another room. (laughs) This guy's smart. Which I was also like, dude, you could go to another hotel, but I guess he really liked committing crimes in that lobby. It seemed like a nice hotel. They told him that the hotel was overbooked and that he had to leave. However, he called the hotel's toll-free reservation service and booked room across the hall. That's That's not really a prank so much as just working the system. I think so. The hotel's employees checked his other room, finding several forged checks. They all... Does he just leave just a trail them laying of around. forged checks wherever he goes? <laughs> they just fall out of everything? So he can retrace his steps, like <laughs> Hansel and Gretel. But with forged checks. He can just go, oh, right, I was in that room. Uh, see? Look at these checks. They're forged. <laughs> they also discovered that he had made several calls to Honolulu. One of the calls was to investigator Nabriga. When Chicago police arrived to arrest him, they instead found Hartstock, his former cellmate. As they questioned Hartstock in the hotel room, Muller appeared and was immediately arrested. He's just like coming down the hallway and they're like, wait, that's him. And he's like trying to get the elevator <laughs> in time. This time he was not allowed to have bail. So oh, I finally. guess they finally learned. Hartstock was returned to Hawaii to complete the rest of his sentence. Muller was charged with forgery, fraud, and robbery. He was held at Cook County Jail awaiting trial, but six months later he was taken to a hospital emergency room claiming that he had swallowed a razor blade. He was handcuffed to his hospital bed and a guard was placed outside his room, but somehow he was able to escape. In the reenactment, we just see, like, dangling handcuffs. I don't know, maybe he had really skinny wrists. I'm not really sure how he did this, but he got out. 
Uh, he called. The guard comes back in the room and just sees the empty hospital bed and the dangling handcuffs, and it's like, Muller, you did it again. It's a hilarious prank. Yeah. So since escaping, he called investigator Nobriga several times, claiming that he was going to turn himself in. It seems like he's just enjoying taunting this investigator. Yeah, not their pranks so much as taunts. Yeah. Uh, however, he was captured on December 19th, 1991. Uh, he was arrested in New Jersey. His real name was revealed to be David Livingston, and he was sentenced to 11 years and two months for his crimes. However, he has since served his time and was released from prison. In 2000, he was arrested again, charged with defrauding a Japanese businessman. His current activities are unknown. The only other thing I wanted to mention for this segment is that the actor they got to play him looks exactly like him. Exactly like him. To the point where we were joking that what if it was him? And like Unsolved (laughs) Mysteries hired him to play himself. (laughs) And they were like, oh, we found him. We actually hired him to play himself. Wouldn't that be? That would be a hilarious prank. That would be the best prank of all. Yeah, he just showed up to the audition. They're like, you look just like this guy. You got got a job. I was like, oh, we found out he was working working as an actor in Los Angeles and actually we cast him for the reenactment. <laughs> that would be and a hilarious call the twist. Center and they're like, yeah, I found him. He's on TV right now. And they were like, no, no, that's the reenactor. And they were like, yeah, no, that, that's him. Yeah, that's him. So, yeah, uh, look, he's probably, he probably learned his lesson. He yeah. probably will commit no more crimes. He's in the aisle of Joanne's uh, looking at crafts. He crafts. He's gone straight. He just does crafts now. Yeah. Okay. So our last mystery is a lost love. It is the story of James and Wanda Ness, who were married in 1956. They went on to have four children. Oh, no, that's not right. Five children? Nope. <laughs> they went on to have nine children. So many children. That's nine too many children. That's how many my my uh my dad has eight siblings. So that's how many children his mom. How has. do you even keep track of them all? It's just a it's just a roving mass. You don't really. I think they mostly just run around. <laughs> they they have their their own their own will and their own ways. So at the time of this story, the children aged from sixteen years old to ten months. That just sounds like chaos. So uh, we see them eating dinner together at a long table where you got the parents on each end of the table and there's way too many children and it's compared to leave it to beaver this was supposedly the perfect american family or was it (laughs) guess what it's not because it's on unsolved mysteries yeah and also no one's family is that perfect yep may 1974 they are ripped apart by tragedy wanda has died on her 34th birthday So we see all the children at the funeral trying to make sense of this tragedy, and we learn that James was not there. Why was he not there? Because he was in jail. They tell this story in the most, like, dramatic way, stupid way, where this is supposed to be a big reveal that a husband killed his wife. I'm like, no, I watch Unsolved Mysteries. Thanks. (laughs) I know how this goes. He had been charged with murder. And then apparently the justification for this was entirely, he was an alcoholic. And I was like, okay. Guess Robert. what? There's alcoholics that don't murder their spouses. <laughs> Robert Sachs I'm says not this, sure that, that was like, the it makes sole perfect cause. sense. Like you would hear he was an alcoholic and just go, Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they always murder. They always their- murder people. No. No, you know what they do? Drink. Yes. <laughs> Often not committing murder. Okay. 
So we learned that by 1973, his drinking had really strained their marriage. He was often too drunk to work, and he was becoming increasingly violent. We see a reenactment of one occasion where Wanda tried to hide his liquor, and he became very angry and started to beat her, only to be stopped by his sons. Who hit him with a chair? His little kid, this little boy, (laughs) picks up a chair and hits his dad, like... Oh my god, so traumatic. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Guess what? They weren't perfect. Sometimes they had to hit their dad with a chair. <laughs> it's horrible. It was really horrible. So after that, James moved out of the house and Wanda filed for a divorce. By May of 1974, Wanda was working at a local tavern. James showed up. It was her birthday and he claimed that he was there to buy her her birthday drink. He was already very drunk, and she told him to leave, that she didn't want anything from him, and then he needed to get out. He has a shotgun? I don't know where this comes from. Maybe he, like, goes back to his truck or something and gets it. This seems relatively premeditated, to be honest. Yeah, so he just has a shotgun and uh, tells everyone else in the bar to get out and then shoots Wanda. And there's a really chilling reenactment of him shooting Wanda. She's staying behind the bar, and then he, like, gets up on the bar and shoots down at her again. Yeah, and he says, like, they have the reenactor say, I loved you or something. He's like, I love you, Wanda. And then he shoots her, which is hor- horrifying. He is late. He's later that night arrested at another bar where he apparently strutted in bragging that he had just shot his wife. That he needed a drink. Yeah. Like, he just had a bad day at work. He's like, oh, I need a drink. Guess what? Just shot the missus. Well, fortunately, someone called the cops on that bullshit. Yeah. And uh, so he is arrested. And with within days of the funeral, the children were sent to live in separate homes. Guess what? Nobody was able to take in nine kids. Uh, so some were fostered. Some were put in foster homes. Some were adopted. The oldest kid, who was 16, went to live with his grandmother. But nobody else was able to stay with family. Shireen says that she thought it was because the family kind of didn't want to be rem- reminded of the tragedy. I don't know how much that's an issue, but maybe that was part of it. Was that maybe she felt like they were being punished for her father's crimes that they had become orphaned in this sort of seamy way, and yeah. nobody really wanted a part of it. You can't blame her for having those feelings. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because the system failed them, certainly. Yeah, absolutely, and but it's also just like. Who can take in nine children? I know. Nobody. Yeah. It's a lot. That's Or even like four, right? Like even half of them would be, that's a huge that's a lot of financial burden and everything else. Anyway, so Sharina is on the show searching for her lost siblings that she has not seen in 11 years since shortly after her mother's funeral. Just by her own investigations in a couple months, she found four of her brothers and then In the next two years, she was able to find her other three siblings. So she was on the show because she was looking for her one brother, Heath, who was age six at the time they were separated. Fortunately, he called in the night of the broadcast and was able to speak with his sister the next day. So we see a reunion of six of the siblings. Heath was, by this point, married and living in Ohio. He's an extremely friendly person with an aggressive mullet. (laughs) That's a great way to describe that mullet. It was aggressive. quite a mullet. And he seemed very touched that people had been looking for him because he was so young when his family broke up that he didn't really know the story. I'm not sure he fully understood, like, why his mom had died or really what had happened because he was only six years old. So it seemed to mean a lot to him to have some closure on that. And 
I don't know. Then they got to spend some time together as adults. It's, it's well, and a- suddenly he has eight siblings. And yeah. All, I'm sure many of them have kids. Like, he just, his family grew exponentially so just, like, much. overnight. So much. I mean, it seemed like he already had a good life in Ohio, but I'm sure there was part of him that was always just kind of wondering, wondering what yeah. had happened. And, and now he has that closure and knows it has nothing to do with him and that his father was just a total jag off. Yeah. So it the was a, end. It was a sweet. That was is a sweet ending. To the that end one. of that. I think since we didn't have an MVM, we'll give it a most valuable mullet. Yeah, to we've Keith. done that before. Yeah, I think that's because a good idea. It's uh, very curly and robust. Very robust. It's yes. very healthy hair. Yes, on Heath. Yes, he's conditioned <laughs> that hair well. Oof, man, it's it's like um, a hockey player mullet. I would yes. say. Definitely, okay. definitely. So let's rate this. All right. Mysteriousness? Mm, not very mysterious. Not super mysterious. Was there really anything mysterious? No. No. Thumbs down. Yeah. Uh, reenactments? I Honestly, think- I thought they were insensitive yeah. and racist. The reenactments yeah. of Chad okay. being beat up in Actually, the garage. Chad, Chad's case is kind of mysterious because we, we don't know how Chad died, but... The segment doesn't really lend itself to mysteriousness because it's so badly done. Yeah. Um, I thought the reenactments were problematic, to say the least. The mental hospital reenactments in your first mystery were not good. No. Uh, so I'm going to give these ones a thumbs down. The reenactment of, of Wanda being murdered is pretty scary. So it's well done, but I also hate it. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Fashion? I can only think of the mullet. I can only think of the mullet and the bleach blonde oh, boy yeah. band hair. When you, when you saw that guy's hair, you were like, of course he wants to move out to Colorado. And I yes. don't even know what that means, but it just makes sense. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Meh. 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 Robert Stack was meh. meh. This whole episode was meh. This is a big meh episode. Yeah. So how do you rate the one this episode overall? A two? Two, two and a half? Two and a half. I'm just, I'm not, I don't, I barely remember it from watching it the other day. This is a two. It's forgettable. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, recommend Sorry to one. Chad. I wish his segment had been better done. Um, I'm glad these siblings got reunited. I did like your last heir slash last love, but it wasn't good enough no. to carry the whole episode. Mm-mm. And the reunion at the end of the second last love was good. You know I love the last love, but I need a little bit more out of the, the episode you as need, a whole. We could have really used a paranormal segment or yes. like give me some a, more, a UFO sighting a, a, or a, a crime with like a big twist. Yes. Really, so much of this is the wanted, the, the Todd, Todd Muller case, and they act like it's like this jovial, hilarious thing. He's running around doing hijinks. It's really pretty boring because it's just like paperwork. Yeah, he's just he's just so, doing crafts. This, so <laughs> it's not that interesting. This episode is not that great, uh, but it's over now. We never have to watch it again. What would you rate it? I said a two. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just forgettable. I don't know that it's bad because I did like The Lost Loves. It's not It's not a one, you know? No. But I, I just don't think we'll remember it at all. And I thought it was problematic overall. So I think yeah. a two is... Unsolved Mysteries should really release a public apology to the South Side of Chicago. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> really, really not okay. Yeah. Uh, but that's that. Let's push, push that aside. Yeah. And recommend some shit. What do you got? I'm going to recommend something that maybe everybody already knows, but that's what I'm going to, that's my, what I'm going to do. So sorry. Sorry if this recommendation. That's what I did last week. Sorry if this recommendation means nothing to you, (laughs) was that I finally went and saw the movie mid, I don't know if I'm supposed to say it, Midsummer, Midsummer. I think it's pronounced summer. Midsummer. I finally went and saw that at the Riverview Theater here in Minneapolis, our cheap theater, which is super nice. 
uh, because I wanted to see it on a big screen, which I think it's available for rent and purchase now. So I'm late to the party. It might be at Redbox, yeah. Uh, it's so good. You liked it? I fucking loved it. How scary was it? It's not, like, slasher scary. It's just intense. Okay. And, uh, it really keeps you on the edge of your seat as you're going, what the hell is gonna happen? And then what happens is so weird that you probably wouldn't see it coming. Hmm. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's so skillfully made. And just the fact that it's like a scary, intense movie, but it's like so brightly lit. It's such a different oh, interesting experience of a kind of creepy... I guess it's just suspenseful. Okay. I don't even know that it's like... Horror? Yeah, I mean, it is, but not in a very typical way, I suppose. Yeah. And there's a few gruesome parts, but most of it is not that. Most of it is just you going... What the hell is going to happen? And I don't want to say too much about it, but I just thought it was, like, really expertly done, just, like, kind of flawlessly made and so engaging and so good. And I'm very happy I saw it on the big screen, which it might be too late for you to do that. But I would definitely recommend watching it. And I'm probably going to go watch it again because I want to, like, pick up on stuff that I missed. Ooh, nice. It was very enjoyable i was not sure really what i was in for and i was like is this gonna be too scary for me but i absolutely fucking loved it and the themes are great which are basically that men are terrible oh and so i, had I can j- get on board with that <laughs> which i had joked like oh how many i would like a statistic of how many boyfriends got dumped after their <laughs> girlfriends saw midsummer which if you've seen it you'll look at why i said that and then someone on twitter sent me a link that the distribution company is like promotion for the it being available now for rent or whatever is giving away three months of couples therapy <laughs> which is the most like hilarious promotional thing which no the couples therapy would not have saved that relationship okay but uh it's it is very funny because i can absolutely see Watching that movie with your, like, mediocre boyfriend who's not really quite working out and just being like, you know what? No. (laughs) We're done. Amazing. I don't watch horror movies, and so I didn't go with you. Also, it was just past my bedtime, but uh, that almost makes me want to watch it. I think, actually, that you would enjoy it because it's not... I did fine watching Us. It's not a jump scare kind of thing. So I the most, the it. hardest part to watch is right at the beginning, like even before the opening credits. Oh, interesting. And then the rest of it is just kind of it building towards you don't know what. Okay. So I think actually you, you would like it. Interesting. I may have to I also it. like that Samantha's like, I don't watch horror movies, but I will look at a corpse filled with maggots. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> so I feel like if you can handle the things that i know you look at it's something about fiction i don't know why it's just a more intense experience reality but yeah i feel like you can you can handle it okay good i'm gonna check it out highly recommend i loved it okay so i'm recommending a show on netflix that i binged over the last couple weeks and it's a show that i don't know that liz would like but (laughs) i really really enjoyed it and it's uh i wanted to mention it on the show because it features medical mysteries oh yeah i would hate that nope so (laughs) this is the it's a new show zero out of Uh, five robert staggs it's a netflix original and it was produced in cooperation with the new york times the uh, a lot of people probably know this but the the doctor who inspired house is a woman whose last name is sanders i want to say it's wait the doctor who inspired house is a woman yes she writes a column for the New York Times about medical I'm mysteries. I'm so angry right now. 
They changed that part to be a man. Yeah, I'm not a fan of House, but I. Boo. <laughs> yeah, I I've watched House, but I never really got into it. But the the real life doctor who inspired House writes a column for the New York Times about medical mysteries. I think her name first name is Lisa or Linda. Her last name is Sanders. Anyway, I've watched a whole series of shows about her now. She's delightful. Uh, really, really nothing like the doctor in house, but she's very, very nice. And she features prominently in the show because she is like the main person in it. Anyway, she wrote a, like a new column for the New York Times. I don't know when the first one came out, uh, but this documentary follows the cases she featured or maybe some of the cases she featured in that series, which was basically crowdsourcing uh, medical conditions that no one's been able to diagnose. Okay. So they're extremely interesting. In fact, one of them, um, like literally a one in a million, a, a child that has like a one in a million illness and that like every doctor was like never seen this before. And so they take it, basically she visits them. She tells her story in her column on the New York Times and then people can send in video and write in responses if they've experienced the same thing or if they know someone who's experienced mm. similar symptoms or if they themselves are a doctor. I read some articles about it last night because um, I watched the last episode and I was kind of like needing more. And I think like half of the people who would, who responded to the articles were medical professionals. And then the other half were just lay people who have either experienced similar things or were just writing in to like offer encouragement. Huh. Um, featured prominently, although it's not like an overt critique of our American medical system um, is the struggles that these people face paying for all, you know, oh, getting sure. lots and lots of testing. Um, doctors not believing them. There's women and women of color featured in this show that have medical mysteries and they feel like they weren't, they're not heard. Um, there's in one case, there's a young teenage girl who was suffering from bouts of vomiting and she experienced doctors saying it's all in your head. It's just bulimia, whatever. And then they take it to the crowd and people respond saying, I've had the same experience. Um, there's a veteran featured who wasn't getting the financial support he needed. Um, so it's depressing, but it's also uplifting because you get to see people really coming together um, to try and solve, and it's also super interesting this is because sort of it's the unsolved mysteries of medicine, though. Yeah, it is. That's why I wanted to recommend it to our viewers or our listeners because I think they'd really enjoy it. I liked it for the same reasons I like watching unsolved mysteries. I was like, do you know why this person keeps vomiting? Call in. Exactly. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Um, you're, they're not all neatly resolved, so don't think that you're going to watch this oh, show sad. and that every single one has, but almost all of them have a probable answer. Um, so they're mostly satisfying at the end. Um, but it is a bit depressing because a lot of these people are struggling to pay for constant tests for doctors just to tell them the same thing. Like, we don't know what's wrong sure. with you. Um, and things like that. But it's oh, I've so been there. interesting. And as a person that's read like 14 books about <laughs> diseases this year, I was really into it. And it has 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. People really love this show. The doctor... Uh, what is it called? Diagnosis. Oh, okay. The doctor uh, who uh, inspired House, she is in every episode, and she is so nice. Like, she's really likable, and so I can see why people really gravitate towards the show and gravitate towards her. I absolutely hate doctors, hate medical shows, but I'm kind of intrigued. I really liked it. So maybe I will give it a chance. I'm, I am sure. actually curious. 
I binged it, and it's been it's gotten extremely good reviews. And it, and I also like that it, even though it doesn't bill itself as critiquing our American medical system, it is because. Well, sure. You can't because talk if it about was these working, topics. We wouldn't need to crowdsource yes. diagnosing people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you like Unsolved Mysteries, which you do because you're listening to us, and medical mysteries intrigue you, maybe give the show a watch. Interesting. Okay. So we've come to the end of our time together. We should week. probably plug our shit. Did you know that we have an Instagram and a Twitter yes. and a Facebook group? At Perhaps It's You and all those platforms. And that also, if you have a paranormal tale you would like to share with us, we're yes. collecting them for the end of the season. We do a listener stories episode. So you should send those along. <gasps> Wait, I just realized I have a tiny spooky tale to share. Oh, oh yes. I've heard this. Okay. Please tell us. There's actually another layer. There's a Is there? there's an ending to the story you don't know. Oh. So uh, my f- dear friend Marissa passed away recently and... Her sister, Lizette, was nice enough to send me some of her crystals from uh, that were part of her collection. She was really into crystals, and I thought that would be a cool thing to have to remember her. So Lizette set them out on the full moon on Friday the 13th <laughs> to charge them for me and then sent them to me. And then, so one of them is like this little pyramid, and it looks like it's made out of a couple different stones. I don't really know what it is. But um, in the Roswell bathroom, I have a crystal shelf. And I was like, oh, I'll put this on the shelf. You know, it'll be a nice reminder. So I put it on there. The next time I come in that room, two of the crystals from the shelf are on the floor. Which they're securely on that shelf. This like, is not an issue before. Any of them could just fall off. Two of off. the crystals are on the floor. And it's not like they fell off while I was putting it on there. Right. Right. So I was like, oh, that's kind of a little bit spooky that I put my dead friend's thing in here and now these two crystals are on the floor and they're rose quartz crystals which is a, is a symbol of love so i thought that was kind of sweet so i told i told her sister and i was like oh i'm sure it's nothing but you know this happened and it's a little bit spooky and right. i know she likes like ghosty stories and she was like oh they're rose quartz crystals those were her favorite <gasps> she had one I just with got her chills. till the end really yes wow okay yeah, I'm convinced. So my bathroom might be haunted, <laughs> but by a friendly spirit. Yes, is that kind of? I, that is spooky. It's a little bit spooky. That's a lot spooky, but also really, really sweet. Yeah. Oh. So, oh. Hi, Marissa's ghost. I love that. So if you have a story like that, send it in. Perhaps it's you. Podcast at gmail We want to hear about it. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things you'll hear on our. Our listener. Actually, episode. the ones on our listener stories are all terrifying. Unlike, yes. unlike that one that was kind of like sweet. Uh, we only seem to get the, really the scariest stories I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. But anyway, all right. uh, what else do we need to talk about? Patreon. You should give us. Oh, yeah. Give us money. <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> it, okay. You might not have $100,000 to give us. That we understand. Fine. Just, I don't have $100,000 either. Just $1 is going to get you a lot of cool shit, including bonus episodes every month. We just released our 21st episode. Wow. We can Our Patreon can legally drink. Uh, we have <laughs> no, released at all. 21 episodes. <laughs> uh, this, our most recent one was about UFO sightings. Yes. So, best evidence ever caught on tape. Is it a 
alien? Is it a or blur? Is it a, a bird? Piece of dust on a is lens. It a missile? <laughs> Jonathan Frakes wants you to know. Tell, uh, yeah, it'll be up to you. Listen to that. That's available for you now. And also, if as soon as you give us money, the entire library it's of bonus content is deal instantly every available to you. That's so many hours of us talking talking about nonsense you love clearly because you're listening to this right obviously. now obviously and you should give us a five-star review on I, apple podcast yes we could really use it helps our ego uh that pretty much fuels us every week it as helps we other people this. learn about the show which i have no idea how people find us so hey we were the 37th top tv and film podcast in croatia one week and then never charted there again so i have no idea i assume happened. that's because of you yeah. Thanks. Cro- if you're listening in Croatia, hello and welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. We really appreciate <laughs> your listening. Okay. Uh, is that everything? Maybe. Possibly. <sighs> I'm sure we forgot okay. something, but who cares? Get out there, solve some mysteries, bitches, and maybe some medical mysteries. Yeah. And don't be a jag off. Do some crime crafts. Do crime crafts. Yes. <laughs> yes. Goodbye. Bye.